All right. So if you've been doing marketing for a while, actually, it doesn't even matter if you've been doing it for a while, for a week or a decade, you know that Google Analytics just becomes like the bane of any marketing team's existence. It's a necessary evil. Something always breaks or it's not right, or you got to find a developer to help you set it up. And I looked it up because I wanted to mention it for this, but Google Analytics launched in November 2005, 16 years ago, and yet it's still the thing that most marketing teams uh, obsess over and get stuck with so much. But there's a better way, and that way is called Aribi. It's an awesome new company, Aribi.io. They got customers like Sony, Pizza Hut, Audi, Panasonic, and Sky. So what they do is really cool. They automatically capture every activity on your website. So imagine someone visits your blog. Oh, nope, didn't have to set up a tag for that. It just automatically captures. Someone visited your pricing page. Somebody did something on your website. You didn't have to go and set that up in advance, which is always the thing that drives me nuts. Ah, oh, we didn't have a goal set up for that. They'll automatically capture everything that's happening on your website and you can do it all without a developer. That is the selling point for me to not have to always beg my friends on the product team to do drug deals and get this stuff over the line. Once you connect your site, you can just start capturing everything your website visitors do. And you can even ask questions like, hey, do people are people who read our blog, are they more likely to buy than other people? Or people who visit my pricing page, are they more likely to convert than somebody else. It's awesome and you should totally check it out. And they're hooking you up with a great little discount, 20% off any plan. But most importantly, like to me, marketing is about simplifying the decision-making process. And if you can have someone that works 24-7 like an analyst on your team for you, which is what Aribi does, it's going to give you a huge benefit. So you can go and check it out, aribi.io slash DGMG, and you can start a free trial. And if you use the coupon code DGMG, you'll get 20% off any plan. I'm launching a new site, dgmg.co, in a couple weeks, and I'll be using Aribi to track everything that I do. And I think you should go and check it out. So aribi.io slash DGMG, go and check it out, and hopefully you can say goodbye to Google Analytics. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Lemon Pie. They're the ones who produce this show for me. They're awesome at what they do and I can't recommend their work enough. They make it super easy for me and I know that they can help you too if you want to launch a podcast strategy for your brand. Check them out at www.lemonpie.fm and tell them I sent you. That's www.lemonpie.fm. Tell them that I sent you. All right, let's get into this episode. Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. This is the place where I share B2B marketing lessons and learnings every week. My guest on this episode is Ursula Arut. She's the CEO of Measure. Okay, Ursula, thanks for doing this. Glad you're here. So the way that I got connected to you, the way that we got connected was... On an original episode of this podcast, uh, Lauren Vaccarello had mentioned, oh, we just use Measure Co. for everything, and that's your company. And so usually for most people, I don't like to do like the word, you know, your background, but I think for our conversation today, it's super relevant. So can you just like fill people in on on who you are, background on your company, and, and how you work with B2B SaaS companies? We'll get into your tricks and tactics in a little bit. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me, Dave. Really appreciate it. So my name's Ursula A. Root. I run a small marketing agency out of San Francisco that's called Measure & Co. And one of the reasons I started the agency six years ago was I wanted more flexibility. I'm Australian, so I wanted to spend more time in Sydney with my family and back in the day you could only take two weeks off and so 
I started Measure so I actually could go to my sister's engagement party. And now that there's remote work everywhere, it kind of um, changes things. What were you doing before? Like, were you at a SaaS company doing marketing? Yeah, so I've been at SaaS companies my entire career. So for the first 10 years of my career, five years in Australia and five years in the US, I spent it at Business Objects, one of the original BI tools, tools solution companies. After that, I went to Salesforce and spent several years there. We did... um, I worked on um, their dream job branding concept. We built that from the ground up. I also worked on data.com acquisition as well as um, the sales cloud as well. And then after that, I wanted to learn more about developers because developers were, you know, the kingmakers. And so I worked with a company called Pantheon. I ran sales and marketing for about 18 months. And it was all about how do you get developers excited about the product and moving them from freemium to enterprise? So we kind of developed the concept of the two marketing funnels, one for developers and then when one for businesses with the concept of product qualified lead. So how do you move things through that marketing funnel? And content was a really big part of it. Developer content was huge for us. And then after that, I decided to do my own thing. Okay, so there's definitely like a million lessons that we could unpack from each of those companies. But it's a little bit easier in your case because you've now started a marketing agency. And so I think that I could ask you like, what I'd love to get out of you together on this interview and this podcast specifically is like, what is your system for B2B marketing? I I know that a lot of people listen to this. They love it because they get the tactical like, okay, this is how she thinks about things. And so like, I'd love to try to like unpack some of that. So like, how do you think about, you know, specifically what services you you offer and how that fits in like what's a framework from how you you know you've learned a way of doing marketing at all these companies I'm listening to this in my car. How can I you know, get smarter by listening to your approach? We do three things really well um, and that's what we focus on. Um, we help companies figure out their strategic messaging and positioning so we build a solid foundation for their messaging but we translate that all the way through to pipeline. There's nothing worse than giving a CEO a messaging platform without any deliverables around that. It just becomes an Excel spreadsheet or a presentation. So what do you do to translate that into actionable information that's going to translate into demand gen? So we then take that from messaging, from a Google Doc simple messaging framework. We look at ideal customer profile. We look at your personas. We look at your value props. We have When we do this messaging and positioning, we actually only work if the CEO is involved. The reason for that is we need alignment, and alignment is really critical when it comes to messaging and positioning. And sometimes most of our job is just getting the folks around the room to align themselves, and then from there it becomes actually a much easier process. So once we've got the messaging and positioning figured out, our next step is how do we translate that to new website copy? Because the next thing you want is demand gen. Okay, so I want to go through your list and grill you on each one. So first thing is, this is great. This is exactly what we want. So number one is messaging, positioning. We'll get into that. I want to talk to you about the CEO angle too. Number two is then get that content on the website. Yeah, then it's get the content on the website. And then from there, inevitably, we then end up doing a, we end up doing working with a design team to help kind of refresh their branding, messaging, and positioning. But design only gets started once we've kind of finished the website copy because I think it's really critical to have copy first and then design for that second. And then from there, we build out the first big marketing campaign. So we translate it from top line messaging and positioning. We 
make it demand gen oriented? How do we create pipeline on the website? And then what is that huge first big theme around the new messaging and positioning for marketing? So then how do we create that marketing theme which has downloads and content deliverables. What is that marquee? White paper, video, guide, ebook, whatever you want to call it. Because then how do we translate that all the way from the top to tactical to marketing pipeline? It's cool to hear you talk about that because I think a lot of people will do a messaging exercise and then it's just like, yeah, this is our new thing. Everybody go and update your email signatures. And the way that you have it laid out is, so if we work together, we're going to create a new messaging framework But then the campaign piece of it is also going to be tied to that new story that's actually driving to, let's say, book a meeting. And so you're going to use the new story, you're going to use the new company story to actually generate pipeline because you're creating a specific campaign around that. Is there like a company that you've worked with that you could maybe share like what that campaign is? Because I could see that people will eat this up because they get the messaging and positioning part, but like, okay, how do I translate that into pipeline? Yeah. So we worked with actually Contentful probably 18 months ago and they were moving towards the enterprise. They were huge on developer marketing, but they wanted to move towards the enterprise. And so we worked with them on their messaging and positioning around the concept of content infrastructure, content operations. And so from there, we updated the website copy. We added solutions. We helped them reframe their website we helped them reframe like the contact us request, request a demo. And then we built out about four to six different pieces of content, whether they were white papers or ebooks. And then we built out their marketing campaign. And it was all about digital products. What's your framework for messaging and, and getting to that and boiling it down to that like CTA campaign that you're going to create? I think the key thing for all of us is... What is that key thing? You know, there isn't one way to distill it. It's getting everyone in the room to agree on it and then actually speaking to customers, having customers actually validate it. One of the things that we do is when we're in discovery phase, we either jump on a bunch of sales calls during their discovery, whether it's um, a sales qualified opportunity or whether it's in process to closing. We want to hear what the customer says throughout that entire purchase journey. Now we have chorus or gong and so we just listen to them off line. And then afterwards, once we put that framework together, we then actually have a bunch of meetings with different customers within the ideal customer group. And then we actually validate that. How do you make this an ongoing thing? Because I think my biggest weakness as a marketer is we'll do all this, redo the messaging, have the big launch, relaunch the campaign. That initial campaign generates pipeline, but then 60 days from now, we're looking for the next thing like do you have any tips around or like or how have you done it to make it be a sustain and and i'm asking specific because like this is what salesforce is great at maybe like at least back in the day which is like always hammering on the messaging and I'm, i'm sure that's something that you picked up there yeah absolutely and it's all about consistency salesforce had one thing going for it really incredibly from a marketing perspective it's saying it once saying it twice saying it three times and then kind of presenting it in so many different ways So I think for us is how do you anchor yourself with a product management team, right? Because one of the big inflection points is, okay, so you have this massive marketing campaign. It's super successful, but what's next? For me, I really talk to then the product management team, the VP of product, and he and I or she and I outline then what are the next big product launches that are coming up? So we then have a six-month calendar of here's what's coming up. So we have a marketing theme that we're going to launch because we have new messaging and positioning coming up. 
then what is that new product that's about to hit? How do we make that into a tier one product launch? Can we have partners join us? What are the customers join us? What is the PR strategy look like? Is there an investment round we can attach to it? And are we hiring some SVPs or VPs or CMOs and things like that? And so how do we connect the dots where we're constantly introducing something new to our customers and prospects? Yeah, I think that's so important because what you're talking about is like, I always use this line, I think I stole it from Andy Raskin, and I'm just going to stop crediting him at this point. But he says like, story is your strategy. And I think when you take this approach, once you've laid out the story, you now have something to actually have a conversation with the product team about, which is not just like, hey, let's go build a bunch of random stuff. But it's like, look, we've relaunched this new positioning into the world. This is who we are as a brand. And so the best way to continue to beat the drum about this is to come back every month or every quarter with some related product news that falls under this theme. Yeah, and the fact that you actually had the VP of product and product management as part of the conversation for building the storyline makes a huge difference as well because then they're invested in marketing success. Yeah. Okay, I have a couple just random follow-ups that I topics that I like that I want to ask you about because you mentioned them. You mentioned that you do the copy first. Tell me why you do the copy first and not the design first. I thought design is everything. Design is everything, but you know, when our design team is, and we work with a couple of design partners, when our design team, if they're going to wireframe, they need to know what they're wireframing for, what kind of copy, and they need to know kind of the gist of what you're saying, right? So you don't want to put in, you know, is it a product image versus is it a visual image? We're actually going through an exercise right now with one of our clients where we have, we're actually stuck with the design And now we have to fill in an Excel spreadsheet to add in the copy that relates to the design. The CEO basically wanted to add use cases and we're like, oops, the design is already created. So now we have to go back to development, invest in additional cycles to get that going. And if we had actually thought through the copy and the website framework first, we wouldn't be in this situation where we have to go back twice in order to move forward. Yeah, I I just think that like design can be, in some ways, a designer can be more creative when they have copy. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but like when you just are like, hey, we want a new website and here's what it's going to look, you know, roughly what we want it to look like. I think a great designer especially in in our industry, is going to be good at design. They're not going to care as much about B2B marketing as you do. And so like, as the product marketing person or as the copywriter, if you can write a story that is substantial and gets the designer to actually understand what you're going to try to tell, it's context, it's guardrails to go and do a better job. Yeah, and it's, you know, a designer's coming into the project new. They don't have the domain expertise like somebody internally does. So if we can give them everything they need for specificity so then they can actually understand the nuances of the product and what they're launching and what they're building for or what they're designing for, we actually get a better output from the design because it connects stronger to the overall message and positioning. You mentioned a website framework. Do you have an opinion on like, this is what the website should look like and how it should be laid out? Or is that something that you vary by company you work with? It varies by a company we work with, but you know, it really comes down to if you had a dollar to spend, what do you want your headline, um, your home copy to look like? So which persona do you want it to go after? Which ideal customer do you want it to go after? So a classic example, if you have developer marketing and you also have enterprise as your ideal customer profile, what is that top home copy going to look like? And is it request a demo or is it get started for free? And that is the constant struggle. So the way I kind of like bring it down to like brass tacks is 
If you had a dollar to spend, where would you want marketing to do that investment? And then the other thing there is if they say, well, we want 80% enterprise, then I say, okay, so what you're telling me with my next marketing campaigns is my marketing budget for 2021 will be 80% enterprise. Yes or no? Because it has to kind of follow through, right? It's so true what you just said, which is like, hey, yeah, Dave, next year we need 80% of our pipeline to be enterprise, but you're going to have to do it with the same budget that you had to acquire freemium users. And it's like, well, that, that's a whole different strategy. This is like, this is a thing that I, I see a lot of B2B marketers miss today, which is like, I talk a lot about the power of having guardrails. Like, okay, is this enterprise or SMB? Do you have a type of, a way that you want to do marketing? Like you have to, as a marketer, sit down before you do anything. And I bet if somebody, like if I hired you to work with a company, the first thing you're going to do is sit down with me and say, okay, look, what's your business strategy? Like you can't do marketing. You can't do marketing without Mm -hmm. that. No. And you need to understand like, what is the sales pipeline goals? What is the sales velocity for hiring? Because you don't want to get ahead of the curve because the last thing you don't want to have leads just sitting there and hanging out and nobody's following up on them because there's nothing worse than wasting budget for leads that are just sitting in the lead bucket and so, yeah, so I think that's a really big question, a really important question is if you had a dollar to spend, how would you spend it? And then the other question I ask around messaging and positioning, and this really helps anchor folks to really understanding that the messaging isn't forever, is how long do we want this messaging and positioning to last for? And some folks tell me, well, we need it just for the year. We need it for 18 months. We need it for two years. We need it just to close our series C and then, and then we're going to pivot. But isn't that important though? Because I think I've seen a lot of companies at the founder level make the mistake of in the series A stage, you're trying to be everything. And it's like, you have to match. There's a vision that you might put in your investor deck that's going to be different than your homepage messaging, which is designed to convert now. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's part of the conversation we have with that CEO and the team is this needs to be a demand gen website because we are looking to produce pipeline for you. The high level messaging is fantastic, but we need to move it down a notch. And I think Aaron Levy did that really well. He would talk about um, for Box, he would talk about the future of work in his conversations at a CEO level when he was presenting. But on the website, it was... um, share content with Box, right? It was very, very tactical. And that was really important because he needed to conv- they needed it to convert into sales deals. Yes. Okay. I'm scribbling down random questions. I got so many other different things I want to ask you. Topic that you mentioned this and this comes up a lot. People ask about marketing to multiple personas because it creates this tricky problem like, hey, Dave, you know, we, what, wait, what was your example that you used developers and there was like a de- developer and another one? So the business. Okay. Yeah. So hey, hey, we have two personas. You know, I'm a marketing leader. I got to hit 70% of my pipeline in enterprise, 30% of my pipeline. You know, that's the contribution in enterprise or whatever the mix is. How do you do that from a website standpoint? People get so caught up in the tactics. I saw a question in my group DGMG uh, uh, last week about the actual website and the call to action with multiple personas. So what's the best way to handle that? Yeah, so I think the best way to handle that is you need to figure out what the homepage copy is and what is the focus area for your homepage copy. Do you want to go after enterprise or do you want to go after kind of developers? For me, the next step after that is what is your top nav? What kind of story is your top nav telling you? So there's a way to get to the enterprise buyer and that's through the concept of solutions and industries. You can also, if you wanted to get to that product manager or the developer, 
the top nav product really relates to them quite a bit. So you could have a developer product story on the product pages that go into features and technicality and even show lines of code with the imagery. And then on the solution pages, you can then kind of talk to more about the business value and the business outcomes. And then the testimonials are more about that VP of business or the VP of enterprise, whereas on the product pages and the developer pages, it's more from that developer speaking. And then the CTAs are very different, right? The developer pages and the product pages are get started now, get your hands on it. And then the enterprise pages are a call us. Do you treat your homepage like in that example, you'd be like, Dave's company is where both developers and enterprise blah, 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 go to get their whatever. And so the homepage is treated as like a splash page almost that lets you know that we support all these different personas and then say, are you this type? Go here. Are you this type? Go here. Yeah. So when I was at Pantheon, we had three different personas that we supported. We had build was for developers. We had marketers and then we had ops operations people. So then we came up with the messaging that said Pantheon is the website platform to help you build, launch and run your websites. Build was for developers. Run was for ops and launch was for marketers. So that was kind of our headline message. And then from there, we told the story for each of the different personas throughout the pages. When you talk about solutions, is that similar to like use cases? Like here's a proven business business reason for doing it this way. And that's different than a product page. A product page is where you might go find like specific features or whatever. Yeah, very much so. And then the solution pages, you know, if you think about like the web imagery, it relates to that industry. It relates to that solution. And then the way it's anchored is really important. You have to anchor it with customer stories because then you're telling the story of the pain points and how they went from the old way to the new way. What would you say to somebody who doesn't yet have a customer story? How do you fill that in in, in the meantime? And, and to do it in a way where like, we're not going to not have a website because we don't have a great customer story, but what could you do in the interim? I would hope that you would have users, right? You would have users. <laughs> I, guess, I guess if we're talking about you doing work at this stage, you're not taking on a client that doesn't have any customers. Yeah, look, yeah. and I, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. You know, we do take on customers that are in the seed round, but inevitably they have customers that are, were part of the um, product market fit. And then within that, so one of the things I would tell these folks is when you're doing product market fit is to ensure that they actually will become a testimonial because then you can then leverage them for case studies. And one tidbit, one advice I have for customer stories is I'm seeing more and more websites not having a customer tab on top. And it's actually really surprising me that a lot of SaaS companies are moving the customer tab from the top nav to the bottom nav. And for me, Customers are so important to highlight immediately. And then the other thing that I think is really important is straight after the homepage banner is to then include the customer logos immediately and then anchor and say, 20% of the Fortune 500 customers rely on X company. And then you have a bunch of logos. I think it's really important for these companies to kind of know where they fit in and to anchor themselves really quickly and then um, to see themselves in these customers. Yeah, and like most people go to a website, especially in, especially for enterprise type of buying, before you even know what a company really does, you're going to instantly go to servicenow.com and you're going to be like, oh, they work with all of these legit companies. Okay, it's like a box you have to check to then go and go and learn about the features. It's like looking up a restaurant on Yelp. It's like first you see if it has at least four stars and like, oh, they have 100 reviews. Now we're going to decide if we should go there or not. Yeah, and a great tip 
around customer stories. So when I first started working with um, Pantheon, um, we had the freemium. So we had a lot of customers, like a lot of small customers. And one thing we did was we got their permission and we put up all customer logos from anyone who kind of launched a website. And that brought us tremendous value. But then what I also did was I actually interviewed developers that were using Pantheon. And then we wrote out the case study for them. And then it became a blog post. And that brought a lot of um, gravitas and a lot of um, confidence in us being a developer company and that we understood developers, et cetera. And then on the flip side, we would then formally interview, say, the VP of marketing um, and then put it together in a traditional case study format. Got it. I like that. You also talked about that you have to work with the CEO. And one of my own quotes that I now like just retweet every now and then is that, and I believe this is like, life is too short to work for a CEO who doesn't get marketing. Oh, I agree. Oh, wholeheartedly. It is impossible to be successful in marketing without the CEO alignment and without having the CEO kind of love marketing. It's on equal footing with sales, with product, with engineering. You know, there are times where it's different focus. Sometimes the CEO needs to focus on engineering. Sometimes the CEO needs to focus on marketing. But absolutely, you definitely need to have a CEO that is open to marketing. Otherwise, it's an uphill battle. All right, let me ask you a follow-up to that. A question that I get back to that a lot is, okay, Dave, how do I, like in your case, Ursula, let's say you're shutting down your company because you're going to go in-house and you're going to go be CMO of some, you know, the next Decacorn company, some bullshit like that, right? How do you, how are you interviewing the CEO to see that they get marketing? What would that be for you? What would you be wanting to dig into? First of all, I'd want to know, A, what happened to the previous marketing hires, why they weren't successful in the job. I think that's really critical for me. And then the other thing I want to do, actually, and this is probably very controversial for recruiters out there, is I actually wouldn't want to take the job full time. I would ask for a quarter to work with the CEO and see if it's a good fit. Because you know very quickly, I think within the first month or the first two weeks, whether you're actually, whether there's alignment between the CEO and the CMO. So I would kind of keep it on the down low, work with the CEO for a quarter, and then then announce it publicly that I'm joining as a CMO with a LinkedIn profile, um, press, et cetera. But I really want to get it right. And I think, you know, the average marketing tenure for a CMO is 18 months to two years. I bet it would be a lot longer if people had the opportunity to try first before actually committing to that two-year mark. Yeah. I think it also changes so much of the first... 90 days, right? Like the first 90 days of a new marketing leadership role is kind of a lot of like, it's always restarting. Every new marketing leader is going to want to do the website their way, do the positioning their way. And so like, if you could get some of that out of the way in the first quarter, even if you only did, if you did an hour call every Friday with the CEO or something, just to like riff on stuff would be useful. Yeah. And, but here's what's interesting. If you have the CEO involved with the messaging and positioning right from the outset, then the new CMO coming in actually can then just hit the ground running and kind of can then start executing on that product vision on hiring, because I think um, one of the first things this CMO needs to do is kind of look at the team and make that decision on how to scale the team and then areas of improvement as well. This is another side one, but just you have an interesting background in that at Salesforce, you actually did, you actually worked on the employment brand. And I think a lot of people listening, I love the idea of like marketing. If you're in a smaller company, obviously different at Salesforce, but like 
I love the idea of having a dedicated marketing resource. I think marketing, sorry, I'm rambling, but marketing should do the employment brand, period. Because the marketers, if you hire a marketing team, you have a team that is good at that skill set. And the same skill set should be applied to candidates as it's applied to recruiting. So I just want, I made a note when I was looking at your background, just because I wanted to just kind of get some, see if you had any learnings or insights from actually working on the employment brand at Salesforce and how that plays into marketing. Oh, absolutely. I think it's one of the best, one of the greatest, I think, career successes for me is I think Mark in 2010 said something like around, we've got the great products now, it's a war on recruiting. What can we do to fix it? And one of one of my colleagues asked me to come join um, the recruiting team to kind of lead it and kind of create the concept of recruiting as a demand gen function and it needs messaging and positioning and it needs the marketing discipline to be successful. And the way we came up with dream job and we put hashtag in front of dream job so we can actually own it. And it was during um, where social media was just starting to kick off, where Twitter was starting to kick off. A lot of companies didn't know how to use social media for enterprise consumption. So we were asked to come up with, we had a billboard on the 101 and we had to come up with a concept really quickly. And it just so happened to be Dreamforce that in two weeks time. And I was sitting um, with my colleague Liz and we're like, okay, what about welcome to your dream job? And then she was like, let's put a hashtag in front of that because then it becomes ours and then we own it. And so then the concept around welcome to your dream job really took off internally in the company. And then um, we were part of best places to work, Fortune's top 100 best places to work. And in previous years, it was just a simple announcement. But then because I had the marketing hat on, I'm like, well, how do I make this into a product launch, right? So I hired a photographer. We sent an email out to our employees and said, hey, we're doing a photo shoot. We'll give you a cupcake. Tell us why you love working at Salesforce. And we gave everyone a little chalkboard and it said, I love working at Salesforce because, and then they would write words and then they would bring in their teams. We had this gorgeous blue background, the Salesforce colors, and we had some really fun photos. So we then took those photos and then we launched salesforce.com slash dream job web pages um, for each of the different verticals. And then we had all of this imagery. And so when top places to work, we actually didn't know what number we were at the time, but we kind of were really ready. And then we did a buyout for all the fortune pages on their technology sector. We also did a buyout for San Francisco Examiner. We had welcome to your dream job, hashtag dream job. We then also took it to South by Southwest. We also did some food trucks there. And then on the social feed for Facebook, we asked folks we could choose our own ice cream flavors. So we asked everyone to come up with ice cream flavors. And then we also did a video of welcome to your dream job. And it's still on the website right now. Um, it's still on YouTube right now. And it was great. And it, it kind of evolved for five years. And Dave, the best story I have around how this kind of grew and became really successful. I went to Sydney for my sister's wedding, my other sister's wedding, and I'm trying on the bridesmaid's dress and a friend comes up to me who I haven't seen for 20 years. We worked at McDonald's together when we were both 16 and she comes up to me. She's like, hey, Ursula, I'm going to be in San Francisco in a couple of weeks. I'm like, fantastic. I'm like, where are you off to? She's like, oh, I'm joining a company called Salesforce. I'm like, oh, fantastic. And I'm like, well, I work there. I'm really excited for you. And then the next day on Facebook, she tells everyone that she's going to San Francisco and it's her dream. And you know what she puts in? She puts hashtag dream job. And I'm like, my job is done. That's amazing. That's, I mean, it's cool because like, I think you talking through that, 
you can tell that that's something that you're passionate about, but like, that's just marketing. That's good marketing, right? It's, it's the same concept. It's like, what's, what's the goal? What's the hook? What's the call to action, right? And inside of the company, you, you know, you had a little incentive, a cupcake, but there's grumpy people out there who listen to this podcast and I love many of them, but they're like, well, look at the budget she had at Salesforce. We can't all have a Salesforce budget. You know what my photographer's budget was? It was $3,000. Remember, um, recruiting wasn't established as a marketing function back then. So my budget was really, really small. So we jumped on a lot of different events. Now, obviously, I understand a lot of people don't have a dream job. They don't have, obviously, billboards and things like that. But we were very, very small in terms of what our marketing budget was. My video was 25000 at the time. I literally had a $30,000 budget. I had internal resources that could really help me, but that was it. It was more about how do you be really creative and how do you kind of jump on board a new concept like social media? And social media to me is all about people. So how do you make those connection points? And till this day, actually, there is a marketing team that sits under employee branding. That's awesome. You know what? I think the most important lesson of what you just laid out, though, is if you go all the way back to the beginning that you named it, you gave it a name. Like I think so many marketers just like, once you give something a name, even if it's a silly name, it just, it gives something, somebody can spit back at you. And, and you know, you had this kind of dream job campaign as opposed to just calling it, yeah, you know, that new campaign that we're doing internally, like the more you can, even a product launch, instead of calling it like the V3 launch in Q4, like give it a name, give it a real name that you can use internally. And it's like, that works like a magnet to get people excited about it and make it more shareable. Yeah. And Dave, on top of that, get everyone involved. So when I'm thinking about a product launch, it's not a marketing launch. It includes obviously the VP of product or the product manager. It includes a CEO because we need to figure out what our objectives are across the company. It includes a head of customer success. It includes a head of sales, obviously, because we need to translate that into pipeline. So it touches all facets. And that's one of the things I love. If marketing is not getting an equal seat at the table, have a product launch, because then marketing gets an equal seat at the table, because they're connecting everyone together. And obviously, you want to ensure it's an amazing launch, because then your seat of the table is then solidified. Yeah. And like, I think once you run a campaign that gets everybody internally excited, you don't have to worry about justifying the value of marketing so much. I've, I've been lucky to be at companies where the way we've done marketing has made people super proud of the company that they work at, right? Because people, we spend so much time in our jobs, people want a reason to share stuff on social media and to like be proud of the place that you're working at. I think good marketing works so well for the brand beyond, you know, this is just like why there's so much value to marketing beyond just pipeline if you can actually get that inside of your head if you're listening. Absolutely. And I think good marketing, it's just about being consistent, making sure that all of your different channels have the same messaging and positioning, and then really training your sales team on sales enablement to ensure that there is a flow between your messaging, your website, your sales deck, all the way through to your sales materials. Okay. All right. This was perfect. This episode of B2B Marketing Leaders is brought to you by DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, campaign ideas, and more. I see people ask questions about hiring, team structure, ad targeting, copy feedback. It's incredible, and it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing stuff too. I feel like it's a group of people I want to 
to be around to get better as a B2B marketer too. And because you're here listening to B2B marketing leaders, you can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. And then after that, it's 10 bucks a month. And it's super easy to expense. You could even do an annual. It's like 100 bucks a year. It makes it really easy to send to your CFO. Flies under the radar. It's 100 bucks. It's really easy. But there's 10 to 12 new posts every single day. And you can go in there daily. And you can even go and see all the content from last year. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you will go in there and you'll be like, huh, I get what Dave was talking about. I know you'll see the ROI from the community alone instantly. And even more so now that you can get in there for your first month for just a dollar. So there's a special link in the show notes of this show where you can go and sign up for a dollar. Go and check that out. For everybody listening, we're actually going to do something new. We're going to flip over to... So this will be the end of our B2B Marketing Leaders podcast. And Ursula, this was fantastic. But uh, for you still listening, we're actually flipping over to the next segment that we're going to record is for uh, DGMGU. And Ursula has this amazing marketing campaign planning, organizational structure. It's badass. And she's going to just uh, briefly walk through that. And so if you want to check that out, uh, you can join DGMGU and there'll be links in the show notes and, and you won't miss that. But uh, all right, let's, do you want to share your screen? I think I'm new to the Riverside game here, but I think you could just uh, share and you should be good to go. Okay. So one of the questions Dave, you asked me is how do we get, how do we connect strategy to tactics? And I think one of the first things that I do when I help a company with their marketing and positioning and marketing strategy is how do I align the entire company on a marketing plan? And so what I'm going to show you is a series of just different slides that you can all take and kind of add it into your slide decks. So typically what I think is inside a marketing plan are your overall objectives and strategy, your inbound strategy and plan, and within that is what is your campaign strategy. Dave, one of the things I love doing is only doing a six-month marketing plan. The business changes so much. Wait, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but like I got to interrupt you just because... I want to high five you right now because I just feel this for the first time. I just started doing this in the last six months and it's made a world of difference. I mean, especially the last year, like I just came out of a year where we redid the marketing plan, you know, seven times, <laughs> right? And so I love the six month lens. Is that something like, did you change that or you've always done it that way? No, we've changed it because I've realized that you invest all this time and effort for a 12 month plan. And you look at it a year later or when you're doing, when you're looking, you're doing a look back and you've changed it so many times. So then why spend six months trying to figure it out? Why spend like in January trying to figure out what's happening in October? Obviously, if there are some events you need to go to and things that you need a book, that's fine. But really thinking it through like how are we going to impact change within six months is more important to me than what does a 12-month calendar look like from a campaign strategy. Obviously, from pipeline objectives and inbound, that needs to be a 12-month strategy because you need to know if you're on pace with delivering pipeline. But campaign strategy for me is more of an H1 campaign, so six months. And then within that, you have an event strategy, you have a content strategy, and none of this needs to be like over like 10 pages each. It could just be simply one or two slides, but it shows the breadth and depth of marketing and all of the different facets of what we need to do in marketing to deliver that pipeline goal. Yeah, I, I love what you said is like making it... I think people get tripped up here because it's like, I see, I got a question a lot in like December, November this year of like similar framework, but like, okay, how much do I show in the event strategy and plan? And I would love to get your feedback on this, but like the way that I, as a marketing leader, present this type of information is like similar structure. Okay. So I'm going to take you through what our events strategy is. Boom. One slide clearly articulating like why we're doing events 
the goal, how we'll measure them success. And then maybe there's like one other slide that's showing, you know, Hey, here's some cool speakers. We already got booked. Here's some interesting things. Or like, if you go into content, it's like, Hey, the big channel that we're focusing on this year is SEO. Here's why, here's how I love that. It doesn't have to be 10 slides each. Yeah, no, it doesn't have to be. And I think an important slide here is you can see this is like the marketing mix, right? What percentage of pipeline are you going to get from each of these different motions, right? So is your event strategy going to bring in 20 to 25%? Is your content strategy going to bring in 40%? And I think that's a really important thing to think about is if you're an events person and that's your purview, like what percentage of pipeline will you be contributing to the overall marketing plan? And then what would you be contributing from the content strategy plan? Even the website, like what is that percentage of contribution? And it all has to add to 100%. And then this is where it becomes like how sales have their own territories and have their own patch. This is how I think about my marketing patch. And what are the different levers I can pull up and down depending if I'm meeting my numbers or not? So, you know, I've got five to six different levers I can pull and sometimes some need more, some need less, some are more successful than others. And so can I add more budget into the ones that are really successful? So I think it's really important to think of it as different ways to bring in pipeline. And I think what's also important here is the marketing ops. Like what are the dashboards? And I think it's really important as part of the marketing plan to actually clearly articulate and outline what are the marketing dashboards we'll be using to see whether we're successful or not? And what are the marketing metrics that we're going to go after? And then obviously the website plan. I think if you're a bigger company, maybe Series B or Series C, you need to have a person dedicated to the website, whether it's around performance, whether it's around look and feel UX. It's connecting the dots between demand gen, operations and content. And do you have an opinion on who that person should be, which team they should sit on? Yeah, I think they need to sit under marketing. Some folks sit under product. I think um, sitting under marketing is really important. I don't think they need to sit under design, but definitely under marketing because the website is the biggest driver for pipeline. Yeah, I like it owned by product marketing with demand gen in that product marketing is going to own the the story and the person, you know, all the things you mentioned earlier, they're going to be the ones that are best at telling the story and the solutions and the customers and the examples. And then the demand gen side of it is it's the number one channel for the business. Oh, absolutely. It's the number one channel for the business. And it's so critical to get right. And especially if you're investing in SEO, you absolutely need to have that website person be aligned with your internal SEO, paid marketing all of it. They're kind of like the anchor to all these different um, teams. And then you obviously need an org chart and then the marketing budget as well. So that's kind of for me what's inside of a marketing plan. And here's some high level objectives that sometimes I come up with for my different customers. You know, I think this is number one for every head of marketing that I know, dramatically increase inbound pipeline, you know, whether it's a short-term improvement or a long-term improvement, then you've got the Product marketing message, effectively introduce company's point of view and influence the market's requirement for a specific audience, grow share of voice. And then another specific one was like orchestrate ABM to accelerate our marketing goals. That these are just objective examples. The next slide that I think is really important is what are the metrics you want to go after? What are the qualitative and quantitative metrics? And for these, 
it's really important to have leading indicators. So when I was at Pantheon, I could tell you based on my website visitors, if I was going to make pipeline in six months time. I mean, especially if you can quantify, you know, this is the importance of measurement, right? Which is like, if you can quantify, that's because you do the sales cycle, you do the average deal size, right? You could quantify that. Hey, look, 50% of this month's pipeline was actually generated three or four months ago. You can start to look at the longer tail of a mistake that I've made in my past is assuming that all of the deals that are going to close are going to come from that month. And it's like, it, it's way longer than that. So it's like, okay, well, 10% might be from three months ago, 40% might be from two months ago, 60%, you know, 30% might be from, it just gives you such a better, a better visual of what's going on. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things then is if your deal sizes are going to take six to nine months to close, then do you want to bring up all of the marketing budget for 2021 in the first quarter, right? Because you then need a kind of build that groundswell because you know it's going to take six to nine months to grow. So I would always front load my marketing budgets if the sales cycle was that long. If the sales cycle was just a 30 days or things like that. Um, the other interesting thing that we I kind of was able to figure out, for like every 10,000 email addresses, I knew I could generate a million dollars in pipeline. So you can get to that granular level of specificity based on really following the data, which I thought was really incredible as well. Yeah. One question on this as a impact measurement you have is unaided awareness. Can you go into that? Yeah, this is where, I think this is more for larger companies um, where they do the PR research. That's kind of more for the really larger companies. It probably doesn't relate to the smaller companies. That's where, you know, you just, somebody knows who you are without having to say, For example, what do you use for content management? Oh, I use Contentful. That's what unaided awareness is. So they actually type in the company name. This is great. What other, maybe like one or two things in here that people should know? You said people will have a leave behind. People can steal some of these slides? Oh yeah, they can. um, I'll have them available to you for them to use it. I think what's really important for me is new logos, right? If you're adding in new solutions um, and new verticals that you want to go after, well, how many new logos are you going to commit to? Is it 10 new logos? And this is where new logos kind of work in with your ABM framework. And I think that's really important. Can we can we talk about, do most of the companies that you work with, are they, are they doing ABM? Yeah, some of them are, but I think it really depends on what stage of the company. I think companies that are 20 million and above are definitely doing more ABM. I really don't see it as often with companies that are $20 million or less. Got it. I did a session a couple weeks ago with Dave Rigotti, who was, he was VP of marketing at Visible and then um, Adobe and Marketo. But he said that like, and I like the way he put this, like at least 50% of your success in ABM is going to be with the list. And I feel like that's a perspective that you might agree with given your focus on you know, the story and strategy and the ICP. Oh, completely agree. It's all about the list. If you don't have the right list, then it's really, it makes it harder. But you know, on top of the right list, it's also the right folks. So we had a situation with a, a client where we did the ABM and the customer really insisted on just going after the C-level audience. We got some good impact from that, but what we realized if we went the next level down, we would actually do much better. So don't be afraid to not always go after the C-level, but the VP, the next buyer, the VP level, I think you could also get more impact there as well. And then obviously for ABM, it's all about, you know, the content pieces and mapping out the buyer journey with the customer journey with content pieces 
is even more important for ABM. Yeah, uh, go to wedding, hear about campaign at wedding. Like that's how you mapped out. That's your whole customer journey for your employment branding campaign. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And then here's some recommended strategies that we put together. Usually it's kind of the gamut. Redesign the inbound marketing engine and operations to scale. Align marketing strategy around campaign and persona go to market, execute integrated multi-channel campaigns, and that's just like across all of your marketing assets, execute organic SEO content strategy, definitely need to always implement BI tools. I love the concept of always be launching, always be launching a product, a new product, improve website content conversions, and then possibly build a land and expand mid-marketing motion. Um, These are just different recommended strategies that folks can pick and choose what would work for their company. But I think these are really very important. And I use these often with my clients. I love always be launching. I think like as a marketer, you got to be launching something at least once a month, ideally twice a month. It doesn't have to be always a huge product launch, but like I think you can just... And marketers today have the tools to create their own momentum, and, and I don't think we use them enough. Yeah, I think so too. And it could be just as simple as introducing a new content piece. You know, a data-driven content piece always do so well. And then you can kind of break that down into different pieces and then keep that alive. I think there's many different ways you can keep things alive. One of the things we did that I think was really important was um, we had a bunch of customer stories. And... I was like, wow, wouldn't it be great if I put this just behind um, a landing page? So we put together six different customer stories into an ebook. We obviously adjusted them for length and size. We put them in an ebook, and then it became a super downloadable content piece because people then wanted to understand how other companies like them work in their industry. And that proved to be really successful. I already had them. I just repackage them in a different way. Yeah, I, I love this. I love that people can just grab these too. These are also like related to guardrails, right? This is like how we're going to do marketing. Okay, we're going to always be launching something. Therefore, when we go into a month and we don't have any campaigns planned, well, shoot, we got to sit down and plan some stuff. Yeah, and this is where you sit down and plan stuff. This is where you find the nuggets actually with your different product teams. But also if you're joining sales calls, which I think is really important, you can then hear the nuances of what the customer is saying that they're looking for and what they need. And then you can just adjust the messaging and positioning to kind of reflect that and then send it to a specific group of people in your email database as well. It does always be launching. You know, I would also recommend coming up with a tiered approach, tier one launch, tier two, tier three. You know, tier three is typically just a blog post with product. T2 is a bit bigger than that. And then T1 involves everyone in the company. And then seven and eight, you know, always need to improve website content conversion. It never ends, but I think it's really important. You know, is, are their imageries right? Is the size of the form fields correct? Can we do less, less forms and things like that? So next slide. This is a really simple marketing funnel. It's an Excel spreadsheet, actually. And this is where the assumptions are in yellow. If we need an extra $10 million in ACV, and the average deal size is $150,000, then we need 67 new one opportunities. And if we're saying that the pipeline coverage is 5x, then this is the number of qualified opportunities we need. So I kind of run, this is kind of to me the back of the envelope kind of Excel spreadsheet on what kind of marketing pipeline I need. 
And then the one important thing here, Dave, is to have the conversation with the leadership team is what is marketing's contribution to the pipeline? Is it 50%? Is it 60%? Is it 70%? And then it becomes kind of like a numbers game. So if I have to produce 333 opportunities, and let's just say a cost of opportunity is $10,000, then I'm going to need that kind of marketing budget. And then the, the CEO is like, well, we don't have that kind of marketing budget. I'm like, okay, so then let's reduce the scope of the percentage of sourced opportunities that marketing needs to bring in, contributed opportunities. And then you end up with a balance between negotiating what you can actually deliver based on your marketing budget, which I think is really important. And then, you know, I think everyone knows this slide. It's here's your marketing waterfall metrics. You know, to us, these conversion rates are based on industry average. But what I do here is I put conversion rates based on industry average. And then I look at one of the company I'm supporting. I look at their conversion rates and then we kind of map it. And the most important, I think, marketing metric that marketers can influence is conversion rates. Say you're able to increase conversion rates from website visitors to leads by like one to two percent that's going to have a tremendous amount of impact on the company. Do you have one or two like general quick wins that you've seen? Not that you can always have a quick win, but like, are there one or two mistakes that people usually make that you've kind of come in and hopped in and be able to make an impact on conversion with a lot of SaaS companies? Yeah, you know, um, honestly, it's messaging. Messaging is a huge one. That is huge. The other one is having the right content. The other thing, you know, we did this recently for a company we um, actually got them, you know, the concept of the SEO snippet, where when somebody's typing in, for example, what is marketing, and then you show that the snippet shows up with your company name and it's got all the details. Yeah. Yeah, we did that for one of our companies and it increased requested demo rates 30%. They became number one in a really, really crowded space. So if you can think about SEO snippets... And having that up there with your category, with your brand, I think it's really important to help increase conversion rates. Yeah, I mean, it's probably all relative to the difficulty. Like, I think if most people could instantly rank for the featured snippet, they would. But I think if you, I've seen it work with a strong domain authority, established company, spend a little time understanding what content needs to be changed to get in that featured snippet. And the click-through rate of that featured snippet is insane. And that's obviously the best channel because it's coming through organic search, you know, usually high intent. Yeah. And then also, what do you do on the website to kind of highlight that? Yeah. Um, Do you put it in the footer? And there are just different tactics that you could do there. As well, you know, with MQLs to SALs is how do you have better content that you can kind of engage the audience? And this is where a lot of customer stories are really impactful here as well. Wait, can you can you go back for one second? I just want to call this out. By the way, a lot of people, so many people ask for benchmarks. I would screenshot this and use this as these are good benchmarks like from Ursula, right? Which is like, hey, what's a good benchmark for, you know, how much pipeline should we be closing? Okay, she has roughly 20% here. How many of our SALs should become qualified ops? You know, roughly 80%. I think this is hugely valuable from a benchmarking standpoint. Yeah, and you know what, um, Dave, what could be really incredible is if we were actually to put together kind of like a repository and it could be blind, you don't have to share your company's name, but if we could ask a lot of people in the from your group to actually share with us what their conversion rates are in the support company. I think that could be an incredible data-driven content piece that we can then share with the community and saying, well, based on the 2,000 folks that we asked, this is what they're seeing. And I think um, it's the number one question I get asked is what is the right conversion rates 
and what is the right percentage of marketing source pipeline. So I think it could be really powerful. Yeah, this is great. Okay, I'm going to wrap us up here because this is great. And everybody will have your deck as a leave behind. But um, Ursula, this was fantastic. Thanks for coming in, doing the podcast, adding this bonus content for DGMGU. I, I love the idea of doing some stuff on, on benchmarking. Um, where can people reach out to you if they want to uh, you know, connect with you directly? Yeah, so my company is called measureco.com and they can reach out to me. I'm always available if folks just want to have a quick conversation. We do three things really well, all messaging and positioning all the way through to pipeline, which includes demand gen as well as content strategy as well. Love it. This is great. Thanks, Ursula. I'm glad we connected. I'm glad we finally did it. And I'll send you a note in a little bit with some follow-up stuff. Sounds great. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. If you got something out of this episode, then I know you'll get even more out of DGMG. That's my members-only community for B2B marketers. There's over 2,300 members in there right now, and it's awesome because it's really like having a sounding board outside of your company as a marketer. Inside of the group, you can get feedback, recommendations on tools, on vendors. You can get campaign ideas. I've seen people post, hey, what do you think of this ad? Do you think this copy would work? Is anybody using this new tool? What do you think of this vendor? Uh, And it's the reason that I'm in the group basically every day sharing my own stuff too, because it's just a community I want to be a part of. And because you're here listening to B2B Marketing Leaders, I got a special deal for you. You can get in the group for just $1 for your first month. After that, it's $10 a month. And let's be honest, it's super easy to expense at your company. It'll fly under the radar. Uh, There's 10 to 12 new posts every single day, and you can go back and see all the posts since the beginning of time. I know that if you're in B2B marketing, you'll see the ROI from the community instantly, and that's why I want you to join for a dollar. I want to make it a no-brainer. So go and check it out. There's a link in the the show notes of this episode, a special link just for you to go and join for $1.